bright. At a whole new level. What's it going to be? Your taste buds, your experience of sound, your experience of smell, okay? Your experience of food, your experience, I mean, the tree of life is going to, it says that it's going to bear a different kind of fruit every month. Or the, the trees along the river that come out from the throne, they're going to bear a different kind of fruit every single month. I mean, can you imagine you're in a resurrected body with resurrected taste buds and you pick some of that fruit and you eat it, you just like start weeping with love for Jesus. I mean, we don't even have any grid for how this thing, you know, but, but it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be far beyond anything we could, we could possibly ever imagine. And, and uh, far beyond anything, uh, any amazing picture we have in our minds. But at least we have a picture in our minds now. I mean, it's not just, well, we're just going to be there, you know, with your clarinet. Oh, it's going to be awesome. And yeah, you know, you just kind of have to, people, you're, you're talking about the glories of this abstract heaven and people, you're, you're trying to build it up and everybody's kind of like, really kind of like, let down, you know, like, man, I really like apple pie. <laughs> you know, I really like some of these things in, in, in life. Okay, now we're going to talk about uh, the kingdom of God. We've talked about the restoration of all things. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God now. And, uh, yeah, we're just going to ask the Lord to, to continue guiding us in the truth here. Father, we ask in Jesus' name for the spirit of truth to lead us and guide us and direct us. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that, that you would help us to have a clear understanding of what you mean by the kingdom of God, that you would remove any tainted understanding we have because of influences that uh, are not of you. Lord, we ask you in Jesus' name for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to touch our inner man. We ask you for strength in our inner being, God. And I pray, God, that that your spirit would brood in our midst and that, Jesus, you would speak the word of life into our hearts. Oh, God, we want to walk worthy of your kingdom and glory. We want to walk worthy of the resurrection. And so, Lord, strengthen us in your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we talked about the, the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of the flesh, and the restoration of all things. God, God went... When Jesus comes back, it's going to begin the process of the restoration of all things where he begins to restore the creation as it was in the beginning. Inextricably bound, letter A, to the good news of the resurrection and the restoration of all things is the good news of the kingdom of God. <clears throat> so uh, Mark uh, 1, 14-15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time has come or the time... The ESV says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Acts 28, 30-31. These are just two examples of a lot of passages where you, that you, you learn that the, the gospel, they're preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Acts 28, 30-31. Yes, go ahead. Should we be apologizing to people for taking them to church? Uh, (laughs) 
Um, yeah. She said, should we be apologizing to people for taking them to church? <laughs> you know what? Well, you know what? It, let's put that question in terms of Revelation 2 and 3. What would Jesus say if you were in the church of Laodicea? Or if you were in the church of Ephesus? Or the church, you know, he has different, the church of, of Philadelphia. He has different things to say to those different churches. And so I'm not going to frame the question in terms of whether we should take people to church or not. But let's, you know, you know what we can do? Just because I, I would feel really bad saying don't take people to church. Uh, because we're in a church right now. We're in a church and we're working through the gospel. And so let's say this. We'll, uh, we'll ask God to take us from being one kind of church to being a, a refined, sanctified church. <laughs> no, I, no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. You know, is that I don't know if one church is perfect. Right. And God is above our imperfections, and He can still work in the lives of people, regardless of exactly. And I'm thankful that I was taken to church when I. merciful he's merciful towards us and you know if you spend a lot of time trying to figure out all the variables you can get really out of shape sometimes and so the, the like we talked about last night you know I like I'm thankful for you know I'm thankful for the fact that I had godly influences in my life you know and I'm thankful that my children, Faith has, she's six years old and she has a better understanding of the biblical gospel than I did when I was, well, <laughs> you know, am I embarrassed to say, it? you know, a few years back, you know, and, and so, but, but um, I think that's the, the way the Lord is, the Lord, hold, he, he is, he holds perfect mercy in his heart with perfect truth, and that's my prayer is, Lord, help me to, to be a lover of truth and to be able to grow in truth but still be merciful towards others that, uh, that may love you sincerely. And um, especially when you're working through it. I mean, could you imagine if you're a pastor and you've been in a church preaching something for 40 years, and then suddenly... I just feel that way after 14 years. <laughs> yeah, and it's humbling. And I tell you what, I mean, it, especially if you've got a big name and a big ministry and all of these things invested in, the Lord's like... I had a I heard a testimony of a guy um, recently. He uh, he's a major prophetic figure, 
although I don't know him very well. <laughs> Apparently, you know, with people that, you know, some people know of him uh, more than I would. But he, uh, uh, but I know, a, I know, a, 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 I have a friend who was very good friends with him. And he said, the Lord visited him in a prophetic encounter and said, everything you've taught up to this point, um, I don't remember how he put it, but it's been useless or it's been no good or, <laughs> or it's not, it hasn't been based on truth. And could you imagine? I mean, but in your, you're in that moment and you either humble yourself before the Lord and it's not, it should not surprise us that we're in deception, people. <laughs> let's just, let's just, we are, we, the human heart is deceitful above all things. And so if we're, if we're shocked by how off we are, we really need Jesus to kind of give us a, to talk to us a little bit, you know, and, but he's merciful and he loves truth and he's going to bring his church into truth. Um, and he's merciful along the way. And so there you have it. All right. Acts 28, 30 through 31. So Paul also, you know, preaching the kingdom of God, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Okay, letter B. Unfortunately, there is a lot of sloppy teaching on the subject of the kingdom of God. We can call it catchphrase theology. If you want to you know, get enough book, people are using the same terminology in books and in the conferences, people start throwing stuff around and they, don't even buy, they may not even know what it actually means. They just throw words around and little phrases around. And... and um, but there's a lot of sloppy teaching on the subject of the kingdom of God. Doesn't mean that God's not merciful to us in that situation, but we do want to ask him for grace to, to, to help us gain greater clarity on the, the topic of the kingdom of God. Uh, there's a lot of sloppy teaching on the subject of the kingdom of God in the body of Christ today. This is due to a number of factors, including confusion and distortion created by platonic thought, which has infiltrated the church, unfamiliarity with the Old Testament, or sometimes giving lip service to the authority of the Old Testament, but not really honoring the authority of the Old Testament for whatever reason, okay? Proof texting and interpreting Bible verses out of their immediate context and the broader context of Scripture, okay? And the prideful tendency of the human heart to build thought systems that rationalize and validate some form of a messianic complex. And as we're going to see, there are a lot of different versions of the kingdom of God that in reality are human rationalizations of I'm the Messiah and I'm responsible for saving it all. Okay? We all kind of like the, the glow of that, don't we? <laughs> and it's in all of us. Again, let's not be surprised by our, by our depravity. Uh, but, but the Lord is merciful to us and he, he's gonna, he, he helps us to, uh, to come to uh, the place that he wants us to come. So anyway, let's keep going. Letter C. In the New Testament, we never find an explicit, de explicit definition of the kingdom of God. Okay, and why is this? The answer is, is simple, but it's that Jesus, the apostles, and all of their Jewish listeners, all of the, gospel, all of the books of the Bible except Luke and Acts were written by who? By Jews. Those that were, as Paul says in Romans, stewards of the oracles of God. They were entrusted with the scriptures. And Luke was a disciple of the Apostle Paul. That they already had a solid grasp of what this term meant due to their knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures or the, or the Old Testament. The New Testament, in other words, presupposes and assumes 
the same gospel as that of the Old Testament. Okay? And so, uh, so by the time Jesus is preaching it, they understand exactly what, it, what he means because they had been in the synagogues for centuries and centuries and centuries memorizing Isaiah, memorizing the Torah. They knew Genesis 1 through 3 by heart. Okay? Letter D. A close reading shows... Excuse me. A close reading of Scripture shows that there are at least four distinct yet interrelated senses in which the kingdom of God needs to be understood. There are texts that pertain to what I will call A, the kingdom of creation, B, the kingdom of Eden, C, the kingdom of Israel, and D, the kingdom of the Messiah or the messianic kingdom. Again, these four are all dynamically interrelated. You can't say that they're not related or they don't, they're not closely connected. However, failure to recognize some of their distinct nuances as portrayed and taught in Scripture can lead to great confusion concerning the nature of the gospel and Christian discipleship in this age. Okay? So ultimately, the fruit we want to see from this is how can we be the best disciples of Jesus the Messiah as possible on his terms as taught by him himself and as taught by the apostles that he commissioned and sent out to the nations. Okay? That's the end game of this. And if we have an understanding of the kingdom that leads to greater discipleship as Jesus and the apostles define it, then that's a good definition. If we have definitions of the kingdom and understandings of the kingdom that are not producing that kind of fruit, then we, ask, we need to ask the Lord to redefine our understanding of the kingdom based on the scriptures. So letter E, in what follows, we will apply the following nine questions to texts that are representative of a group of texts that relate to the four different senses of the kingdom described above. And I, I, I highlighted representative there because obviously we can't go into every single text that relates to all of these different things. We'd be here a long, long time. But we've got some representative texts here. And so as you're going through the scriptures yourselves, uh, you'll be able to kind of identify which ones are, are being talked about. So the first question we're going to ask is, where is the kingdom? These are, we're going to apply some very simple questions to these Bible passages. Where is the kingdom? Where is the kingdom headquartered? Who establishes the kingdom? When is the kingdom established? By what means is the kingdom established? Who governs the kingdom? Who are the citizens of the kingdom? On what basis are the citizens included? On what basis are the citizens included in the kingdom? Okay, in the United States, how can you be a citizen in the United States? Just by going for a visit, getting a visa? No, you have, there are certain processes. You either have to be born there, or you have to apply. But you're, it's not you know you, there are certain terms that involve inclusion in a kingdom. And how is the kingdom administrated? And we will use the picture painted by the answers to these nine questions to form our answer to question 10. What is the kingdom? And so I'm going to ask you guys to give me feedback as we go through these verses. And give me, in your own words, what you're seeing as we answer, ask these questions of these texts. So the kingdom of creation. Letter A, where is the kingdom? Let's read 1 Chronicles 29, 10-13. And then you tell me. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Yahweh, or O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. 
Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in the heavens should be in the heavens there. And the earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. So, when you read this passage, what would the answer be to where is the kingdom? It's, some of these are so simple, they're intentionally simple. So don't, don't get too complex. The heavens and the earth. Okay? So the heavens and the earth... All. Everything, right? It's everything. The heavens and the earth. That's where this kingdom is. It's, it's, it's the, the highest heaven, the third heaven, the second heaven, the first heaven, the earth. It's everywhere, right? Okay? Letter B. Where is the kingdom headquartered? Let's read some, some verses here. Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. The Lord is exalted over all the nations, Psalm 113, 4-6. His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? So he's stooping down not just to look on the earth, but from his throne at the height of the heavens, he's stooping down on the lower heavens. From his, you know, big throne. Oh my goodness, what does that throne look like? With those... Four living creatures and the 24 elders casting down their crowns. <clears throat> uh, Psalm 123, 1. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Okay, so where is the kingdom of creation headquartered? The throne, right? At the height of the heavens. Okay? Overseeing all creation. So let us see. Who establishes the kingdom? Now this is obvious, but we want to say it just, just for the record. The heavens are yours, yours also the earth. Who founded the world? You founded the world, God, and all that is in it. Psalm 89, 11. So who established the kingdom of creation? God did. When is the kingdom established? So, uh, Lamentations five nineteen. You, O Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures. Uh, oh, excuse me. I, I've got that one in the... Uh, the uh, Lamentations 5.19, I meant to put it somewhere else. Let's go to Psalm 93, 1-2. The Lord reigns, he is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and is armed with strength. The world is firmly established, it cannot be moved. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. And so, the, uh, when, when was the uh, kingdom of creation established? In the beginning, when he created the heavens and the earth, right? And so, the heavens had a beginning... And the earth had a beginning, and so he created the kingdom of creation when he created the heavens and the earth. So it's at the beginning. Letter E, by what means is the kingdom established? Jeremiah 10, 12, and a number of other parallel verses says, But God made the earth by his power, he founded the world by his wisdom, and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. So by what means is the kingdom of creation established? Was it established? By his power, by his wisdom, by his understanding. <clears throat> by the understanding of human beings? No, we didn't even exist yet. God reminded Job of that 
uh, in the, the latter part of the book of Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? <clears throat> Letter F, who governs the kingdom? Isaiah 66, 1 through 2. This is what the Lord says. The heavens, the Shamaim, are my throne. The earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. So who governs the kingdom? The Lord. The Lord does. And to whom does the kingdom belong? So let's... Uh, who owns the kingdom? <clears throat> Letter G. Who has a claim against me that I must pay? Everything under the heavens belongs to me. De Deuteronomy 10, 14. To, to the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. And then Psalm 50, verse 12. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. So who possesses all creation? Who owns it? God does. Okay? And letter H, who are the citizens of the kingdom? Psalm 148, 1-14. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise Him in the heights above, praise Him, all His angels, all His heavenly hosts, praise Him, sun and moon, praise Him, all you shining stars, praise Him, you highest heavens, you waters above the skies. Okay, <clears throat> let's keep going. Uh, letter, uh, verse 7, praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures, ocean depths, lightning and hell, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do His bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals, all cattle, small creatures, flying birds, kings of the earth, all nations, princes, rulers, young men, maidens, old men, children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his saints of Israel, the people close to his heart, praise the Lord. So who are the citizens of the kingdom of creation? Everything. Everything. Letter I, on what basis are the citizens included in the kingdom? You are worthy, this is Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by what were they created? By your will they were created and have their being. So, <clears throat> to be a part of the kingdom of creation, what's involved? What do you have to do? Exist. You have to be created, right? That's it. If you exist, then you're part of the kingdom of creation, aren't you? <clears throat> and uh, letter J, how is the kingdom administrated? For by him all things were created in the heavens, on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That's Colossians 1.16. Go to the next page. Psalm 106. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 103, 19-22. There's a verse in Revelation where it says, The angel in charge of the waters... That's interesting. Uh, anyway, first king, the reason being, uh, we're talking about the administration of the kingdom of creation. First Kings 22, 19 through 23. Micaiah continued, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing around him, on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead? 
and going to his death there. One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of all these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. And the reason God was allowing that was because of the deceitfulness in the, in the heart of the, those involved in the situation. But here you have a picture of a council room, don't you? Okay? With different assignments. Psalm 115.16, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. Okay, so he owns the heavens and the earth, but he's given the earth to man, and we're going to ask for what? And then Psalm 8, 4 through 9, What is man that you're mindful of, and the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, or the, the, uh, the heavenly beings, or the word could also be translated to gods there, and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Okay, the kingdom of creation includes the heavens and the earth, everything, the sea, the sky, everything. How is the kingdom administrated? Is God doing it all by himself? Right? And what about other parts of the creation? Look at uh, Psalm 103. And First Kings twenty-two. It's got the angels involved, administrating different parts of the creation. Okay, and uh, so, what if you know in the United States, how does our government run? Does President Obama run every single little office? Yeah. Right. There's a whole pyramid of. Govern, you know, there's the senators and House of Representatives and governors and mayors and police officers and this whole thing that works together as part of a kingdom, right? And it's the same. Well, it's supposed to, it's supposed to work, right? Um, but that's the, uh, it's the same idea that God, over his whole kingdom of creation, he has an administration, <laughs> okay? Angels have jobs. More, and, you know, I think angels probably have jobs more than just giving messages. You know, there's, there's some scriptures that talk about angels in relationship to different parts of the creation. Revelation, we just, I just mentioned, talks about the, the angel over the waters. Um, he makes his messengers winds, his servants flames of fire. And I, uh, yeah, go ahead, Mom. When we inherit the kingdom that's coming... We will, we will definitely have jobs. <laughs> yeah, we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. So, so the question is, how is the, how is the kingdom of creation administrated, and it's in partnership with the creator, the creation itself, with the angels and the human beings? Okay. So we're going to use, we're going to take all of those different pieces yes he gave the, yeah and what he meant by that was he didn't mean that Adam was the one ultimately in charge he meant that because he owns the earth remember we read that but he gave he, he, he gave it says the earth he has given to man to rule and so that's a good picture where God 
brings the, God brings the, uh, the animals to Adam and then waits to see what Adam will name them. Okay, well, those animals are being led and directed by God and his governance, but he wants to involve us, and, and those animals need to submit to Adam's authority. Okay? Um, but Adam is using his authority in love and humility because he's originally in a state of perfection without sin. Okay? And so, uh, what is the kingdom of creation based on, based on all of these different pieces? So, this is the definition based on what we just went through. It's, it's straightforward. The kingdom of creation is a universal government, isn't it? It's all things everywhere. It's universal. It covers the whole universe the, the high, from the highest heaven to the, the smallest ant. All of it is part of the kingdom of creation. It encompasses all creation, everything in the heavens on the earth. It was established in the beginning at creation. It was founded by God through the power of God and the wisdom of God. It's headquartered from the highest heaven it w uh, from God's throne there. It was, is, and always will be governed and ruled by God. It's made up of citizens whose inclusion is based simply on the fact of their being created. It's administrated in partnership with angelic powers of different ranks, levels of authority and assignment, and human beings. And if you're interested in learning more about the, the angelic side of it, we've I've got a few teachings on the, the Daniel Training Network website on that, where we actually look at the, uh, the, the, the fallen powers as well and how that works with this whole thing and the administration and, and, and certain of those powers that are still in operating in, on some level are rebellious and what God's doing with that. And So anyway, um, so there's a picture, here's a diagram of the kingdom of creation. You've got the uh, H at the top representing the highest heaven. You know, there may be more than three heavens, but the third heaven is what we, we know of based on Paul's experience that he describes in 2 Corinthians 12 that he visited the third heaven. But you've got God's throne at the height of the heavens and other thrones there, you know, because he's got a council around him. He's got angels and powers and cosmic powers. And uh, <clears throat> the book of Job calls, calls them sons of God, some of those cosmic powers. Then you've got thrones in the second heavens. And you've got thrones on the earth, and you've got all of this together representing God as the one ultimately in charge with delegated positions of responsibility over the, the kingdom of creation. Any questions? Any questions? Okay, <clears throat> the kingdom of Eden. Where is the kingdom? We just read Psalm 8, but God... Gave, he gave Adam a place of delegated authority and God's intention, God, you know, God originally created the whole earth in a state of perfection, didn't he? He created the whole earth in a state of perfection and so his, his, his desire was for that, that the, the, whole, the whole earth to be ruled from Eden. Okay? Now let's go to where the, the kingdom is headquartered. <clears throat> I think you guys will find this interesting. If you pay close attention to some of the details in Genesis 2, uh, we get a real clear picture of, of, uh, of what the garden, uh, that it wasn't just trees, but that there was actually a, a, a pattern, a format to the, to the kingdom of Eden. <clears throat> so where's the kingdom headquartered? Now the Lord God had planted a garden, this is the garden of Eden, in the east, 
in Eden. So notice that you have the Garden of Eden, which is planted in Eden. So you have a region called Eden as well. You've got a Garden of Eden planted in Eden, in a region called Eden. And there, in the garden, he put the man he had formed. And the Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and a river. Now, do rivers flow upward, upstream, or downstream? Up, up, uh, what's the, up, what's the elevation? What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, they flow downward from up to down. <laughs> what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Downward elevation? I don't know. I can't think of it. My brain's not working here. Yeah, they flow downhill, right? They flow downhill. <laughs> oh, mercy, Lord. I need my resurrected brain. Okay. I got myself in trouble with that one with faith. I got myself in trouble with faith because uh, sometimes if I forget something, I say, oh, I, I don't have my resurrected brain yet. And, and uh, the last few weeks, uh, I've said, I, you know, I'll tell Faith, hey, Faith, would you please go do this for me? And she'll forget to do it. And then she'll say, oh, I don't have my resurrected brain yet. <laughs> I said, oh, oh, I got to work myself out of that one. But anyway, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, so, the, uh, in the middle of the garden where the, where the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden into the garden. From there were separated, it was separated into four headwaters. So, so you've got something called Eden flowing into Eden in the region of Eden. You've got three distinct kind of things that are being talked about here and, and if we think about it and, and ask the Lord for understanding and we read some other scriptures we realize there's a mountain and from the mountain is flowing down a river into a garden into the region of Eden okay and we're gonna, we see that pretty clearly based on Ezekiel chapter 28 let's read it moreover the word of the Lord came to me son of man raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre we don't have time to talk about the way uh, this, is the, this is relating to the Antichrist Empire and how powers relate to the different nations of the Antichrist Empire. But just know that he's, getting, he's talking here both about a human being as well as the power and principality that the devil himself behind it. Okay? We'll just leave it there for now. <clears throat> so, say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the signet ring of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He's talking about Satan here before, you know, before he fell. He was a guardian angel, a guardian, uh, 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 what does it say here? A guardian uh, cherubim, I think. Yeah, a guardian cherub, but we'll get there. He says, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, and diamond, Beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. So there was a mountain in Eden. Now we know that there was this beautiful mountain with, and that Lucifer, before he fell, was covered with all of these beautiful stones. And a beautiful creature, like all of God's creatures, you know, before he, before he rebelled. 
and he's walking in the midst of these stones of fire. Now remember Daniel, when Daniel has his vision in Daniel 7, he sees fire coming out from the throne, doesn't he? But this is, this is talking about the mount, a mountain in, in the Garden of Eden, or near the uh, east of the Garden of Eden. Or excuse me, it would be east would, Eden, the Garden of Eden would be east of the Mountain of Eden, which would be west of the Garden of Eden. So he says, You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you. The SV alternative says, I banished you. O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire, your heart was proud because of your beauty, so on and so forth. So we won't get into the rest of that. The point of this is not to talk about what was all involved in Satan's fall, but just to point out that there was a mountain in Eden, okay, that God actually sat on. And interestingly enough, interestingly enough, when Jesus comes back, think about Revelation, there's going to be a mountain. What's going to come out of the mountain? A river flowing which direction? Eastward. Okay? It's the restoration of all things. It, oh, yeah. And we're going to go up to that mountain to worship God whose dwelling is with men. River brings healing, yep, to the nations, and the trees, of, the trees bring healing. Mm-hmm. When, it comes out of the, when it comes out of the throne, the river flows out, and then the trees grow, grow along the side of the river, and the, and the, trees are, the leaves are used for the healing of the nations. And so that, that gets into a whole topic of the millennium, and not everybody is resurrected and all that stuff yet, so, but uh, we'll have to save that for another, <laughs> another topic. Yeah, 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 that's right. So, so the point is that the king... Where, so, so when we read these verses and look at them closely, where is the kingdom of Eden headquartered? From, from the mountain of Eden, in the, in the garden of Eden, in the region of Eden. Okay, and we'll just go... These are obvious here. Who established the kingdom? God. When is the kingdom established? In the beginning. By what means is the kingdom established? By his power and wisdom. And who governs the kingdom? So let's read Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested. And the Hebrew word here is is Shabbat. Or it could also mean ceased from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, there's one little technical point here that I want to draw out that we miss in the English language. In the Hebrew language, you have the, the words, are all, they all come from certain roots, con, roots of consonants. And those consonantal, con, consonantal roots, they provide a core meaning that gives meaning from all the different words that come from those consonants. Does this make sense? Or, or meanings that are related. They're not always exactly the same meaning, but they're kind of the same idea. So, for example, the word for, for bless, the word for bless, the, it comes from the, the three consonants of the word bless are B-R-K, what we would, B-R-K in English, they, they, they're different in Hebrew, but B-R-K. And if you put two vowels between the B and the R and another, and, and the same vowel between the R and the K, you'll get one word, okay? Put two different vowels between those consonants and you'll have a related word but a different word. 
See what I'm saying? Does that, does that make sense? That's, it's, it's a technical point. The reason I want to say that here is that related to the, the root word for rest here is go down to 8699 here. You put some different vowels in there and you get the idea of reigning and ruling and, and, and being enthroned. Okay? And so the point there is that when God rested, it wasn't that he was just taking a nap. He's saying that he created the heavens and the earth, and he established his throne on that mountain. So he has a throne at the height of the heavens and a throne on the mountain. And I don't know how those actually, you know, the scriptures portrayed as a footstool connected to a throne, and it's one reality, and, may, and there's open heavens, and what that looks like in terms of the, the mechanics of it, it's hard to know what the mechanics of it were. But it's one reality. And, and uh, the, when he sat enthroned, when, or when he rested, it means that he sat in a place of rest over his creation. And he was not con- striving and contending to, for his will to be done because it was in a per- state of perfection. Okay? Right. He sat on his throne. And he was sat on his throne and was overseeing his creation. And so that's why, you know, when Israel is going to war and they have the Ark of the Covenant and God is seated on his throne... He comes back, when the Shekinah glory comes back and rests, it says that he's, he, he, he sits on his throne and rests. But then they say, Arise from your throne, O God, and go out and fight against our enemies in the land of Canaan, you know, to uproot them. It's God going to war. So when God is off of his throne, he's at war. When God is on his throne, everything's at rest. Okay? So that's the idea. So who governs the kingdom? Well, let's, we, we talked about the highest heavens belong to the Lord, the earth he has given to man. That... The kingdom of Eden, who rules it? God. <laughs> okay? He, he rules it. And that comes out clearly, more clearly in the, in the Hebrew than it does. You know, most people say, well, why, what does it mean for God to rest? Well, it's saying that he, he's sitting enthroned in charge of it all, overseeing it in his love, and everything's in a state of peace. Well, Jesus, the Sabbath was given as a gift to human beings to rest, right? And so Jesus is saying, look, this woman's been tormented by the devil and oppressed, or this person's been you know, a paralytic for so long. God comes and heals them as a sign of the resurrection to come, and they have relief in their body. That is Sabbath. That's rest for that person. <laughs> On the Sabbath. The true meaning of the Sabbath, yeah. Right. Exactly. He's not off in the ideal realm roasting marshmallows over some ideal forms. Yep. 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 And some. And see, and that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what he does on his throne, because sometimes he makes decisions from his throne that are painful for us, and sometimes he makes decisions from his throne that that are that are awesome, that are, you know, that are, you know, my hand gets healed, 
See what I'm saying? And that's rest. That's rest. And so the thing is, the rest has, when, when God heals, when he heals that hand, and it does it on the Sabbath, he's saying, when I come back, my son's going to set up a permanent Sabbath. And this is a sign of that. So walk worthy of it. Walk worthy of it. See what I'm saying? That it's got an anchor in, the, in, the, in our future hope when it's not distorted by platonic thought. <clears throat> so we're almost done here with the kingdom of Eden. Uh, so who are the citizens of the kingdom? All living creatures on the earth. That doesn't mean that all of the creatures were actually in the garden, but <clears throat> the government was based out of Eden. Right. We don't all live in D.C. Right, and we're under that government's authority. Right. Exactly. Um, and on what basis are the citizens included in the kingdom? They're created, but also with the stipulation, right? What's the stipulation? Obedience. Of obedience. Don't eat from the... Exactly. Exactly. And so there was a, there was a stipulation in place... And as long as they, they abided by that stipulation, it was an acknowledgement of God's authority in the situation. And a lot of times that's the way kingdoms work, right? Is, is, is as long as we're acknowledging the authority of the governing authorities, then they don't want to micromanage everything. See what I'm saying? So it's like this. President Obama, he's, you know... He has entrusted a government. You know, he's appointed, there's, you know, there's governors, there's leaders of all different levels, mayors that are administrating government on different levels in the nation, right? He can, you know, he, it's, it breaks down a little bit because God could do that if he wanted to. But, but in this situation, President Obama has, author, he's the highest authority of this nation, isn't he? And as long as we are obeying the, the laws of the land, we're acknowledging the authority of the government, aren't we? We're acknowledging it. And so I can go to Arby's. President Obama doesn't care whether I go to Arby's, whether I go to McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? He, there's freedom within the, you know, as long as I'm abiding by the stipulations that acknowledge the authority that God's, that's in place, you know, then he gives it that we have some freedom to move in that situation. But as soon as I say, guys, let's go get some guns, Go out to the wilderness, and you know, and overthrow the government. Then Obama has all the military behind him. You know, say he could send it all in and crush my little rebellion if he wanted to. He doesn't. He doesn't want to crush me. He wants me to. He wants to enjoy watching me name the animals. If you you know to mix the mix the metaphors. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Right. At rest, because everything is the way that he wants it to be. And the people are saying, but what you decided is not what we want. It's not perfect for us. Right. So my heart just breaks. You know, I'm just thinking. And his heart breaks.
That's and good. What they wanted with the stipulation of heed my commands. Heed my commands, which are for your own well-being. Which are for your own well-being. No, thank you, Jesus. I mean, that's he's. How is the kingdom administrated? We talked about that. Um, uh, he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, whatever. We talked about loving partnership with, with human beings. And so letter J, what is the kingdom of Eden? The kingdom of Eden was a government whose domain was the earth, was established in the beginning when God created the earth, was founded by God through the power of God and the wisdom of God, was headquartered from the mountain of Eden in the Garden of Eden in the region of Eden, was governed and ruled by God ultimately with human beings in a position of delegated authority, was made up of citizens created by God and put in the garden, the garden by God with a stipulation of obedience for continued inclusion in the kingdom, right? Or at least in the, cent- the, in the, main, in the main headquarters of it because they were still on the earth but they just weren't in the, the garden where they could have access to the fruit of tree of the tree of life. It was administrated in loving partnership with human beings and before the fall the earth existed in a state of perfection under the dominion of the kingdom of Eden which was the footstool of the kingdom of creation. See? Now uh, we've got a little diagram here of the kingdom of Eden. You know you've got the mountain of God there and then the garden of Eden. And I think it's interesting if you compare it to the tent, the layout of the temple you have the holy of holies, the holy place, and then the outer courts. You've got a threefold pattern as well. And wouldn't that be interesting? You also have three, if there's three heavens, you have these threefold patterns that God does the creation by. So that's pretty cool, I thought. So Lord, we, we love you, and we ask that as we, we go to dinner tonight, before the final session tonight, I pray in Jesus' name that, that you would seal these things in our hearts, and we thank you for for your merciful leadership. We thank you for creating us by your will. We love being your children, Father. We love being your people. Oh, God, we, we're so thankful for all of the good things you give us. And we look forward to the day when you resurrect our bodies from the grave, when we experience the glory of God in, in bodies that never die or will never perish. Father, we thank you, Father, for the the what you did, Jesus, on that cross to make a way for us to have our sins forgiven that you would actually let us into, into your kingdom that's coming. And Lord, we love you and, and we thank you so much for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.